a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Climate change is a real issue. There's no doubt the planet uh, has been warming, that carbon emissions and pollution are increasing and impacting all of us. But are big climate summits like the COP26 that's just wrapping up uh, in terms of the big leaders' participation? Uh, President Biden will be hopping on a plane uh, within the next hour or so to head back to Washington, D.C., having, having delivered a number of speeches and had a number of appearances and photo ops. And so the question then becomes, is it all about the headlines? Is it about the photo shoot? Is it about the speechifying? Is that the best way to save the planet? Maybe not. Let's begin. Think you know the news of the day? Think again. Well, we're really pleased to be joined by Dalibor Rohawk, who's a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. He wrote a fantastic piece in the dispatch called Climate Change is a Problem. Big summits are not the answer. And I've been looking forward to this conversation as it is easy to gather the big names, to do the big photo shoot and uh, splash the headlines with lots of things. But is it the best way? And uh, we really appreciate you joining us on the program today. Tell us a little bit about your piece in terms of is there a better way besides just the big summit? Well, first of all, it's great to be with you, Boyd. And thank you for for inviting me. Um, I think you uh, you. Uh, actually uh, describe the problem rather rather well. Climate change is a problem. Uh, man-made, man-produced CO2 emissions and methane emissions are an issue. I think there is a need for a policy response. However, uh, the overhyped expectations around these big global gatherings are likely to be disappointed. And moreover, they are not really helpful to, to, to producing uh, sustainable, durable um, solutions that can that can that can that can address the problem. Yeah. Uh, unlike many other environmental problems, climate change is what some would call a wicked problem. It's it's highly complex. Mm. It's full of contradictory aspects, and it's simply not amenable to uh, one-off solutions or fixes. These are big bang bargains that that people always expect in the run-up to these to these climate summits. It's a condition. It's a chronic condition that needs to be managed. Can be managed better or worse, um, but, but it's, a, I think, a sort of fundamentally different problem from from, from some of the environmental problems of the past, such yeah. as uh, the ozone layer, which was indeed solved, solved in a way by phasing out the um, chlorofluorocarbons in the late 1980s. Yeah, and so let's, I want to dig into some of these because I, I think you've described it so well in terms of it is this chronic it's it's a chronic problem that needs to be managed there's ways to work around and through and to and things to improve for sure uh there is no one stop shop uh, in terms of a solution to all of that and uh, in fact you made the the point in your piece that uh looking back over kind of the history of these kinds of big 
deals, whether it's the 1997 Kyoto Protocol or the, uh, of course, the uh, Paris Accord of 2015. Uh, describe what's actually happened kind of with or without uh, those particular things. Right. Um, so what makes uh, climate change such a complicated problem from a policy perspective is that it seems to be driven by humankind's use of fossil fuels, which is very deeply embedded in our economies. And it's very hard to envisage a, an abrupt change in the way we do business, in the way we travel, in the way we produce energy that would make us uh, immediately far less dependent on, 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 on fossil fuels. Uh, the idea was in the 1990s that this could be solved through international joint action by, 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 by countries setting targets for decarbonization of their economies by reducing their reliance on fossil fuels. Um, however, that's just been ineffective. Um, it's, it's a problem which entails uh, immediate short-term costs that have to be borne by private citizens. And it's a very unpopular political proposition to impose those costs on, on your electorates, particularly if you are a poorer country, country that's developing, let's say, India, and, and you're trying to phase out uh, fossil fuels, you are going to endure these costs uh, immediately and, and you're not going to really reap the, the, the benefits within a uh, timely political horizon. So, so this has never really worked. That's why the Copenhagen summit in 2009 essentially crashed. Uh, the Paris Agreement in 2015 was a fundamentally different kind of agreement in which government essentially made these pledges completely voluntary and they have sort of given up on having any sort of enforcement mechanism around them. It was essentially a bow to reality in which decarbonization will be driven by, you know, decentralized policies by, mm -hmm. by individual countries, uh, and more importantly, by innovation, by the private sector stepping in. Uh, I think private sector needs the right sort of incentives to, to produce innovation, but it's just these, these, these big global summits are not going to cut it. Yeah, it it does seem to be that this often ends up with uh, after all is said and done, much more is said than done at these big summits. And and as you say, it's it is going to be a combination of those countries, the private sector, uh, and what citizens are willing to bear in terms of uh, some of those either costs. Exactly. Um, President Trump, for example, got a lot of flack for leaving the Paris Agreement. However. Um, the United States economy has been decarbonizing quite successfully, irrespective mm. of of whether it was in the Paris Accord or was not in the Paris Accord. In fact, President Trump tried to provide a sort of economic boost to the coal uh, industry that never really that never really worked. Meanwhile, China has nominally been committed to various forms of emission targets under these these international protocols. Yet, uh, China's emissions right now exceed uh, the emissions of all industrialized nations combined. They have grown three times uh, since the year 2000, and at best they can be expected to stabilize by year 2030. So, so really what's happening on the ground in terms of emissions and other policies, I mean, adaptation, mitigation of effects of climate change is only very loosely connected yeah. to these to these to these big gatherings of world leaders and, and and I think that that hype is just not not particularly helpful and it's not the right way of, of framing the conversation around what needs to happen with energy policy what needs to happen with adaptation uh, ultimately the solution is to make renewables and clean sources of energy economically competitive with fossil fuels uh, 
you know, without subsidies, without these sorts of government interventions that, 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 that help them be competitive these days. All right. Excellent uh, analysis. Delavore Rohawk, Senior Fellow at the American Enterprise Institute in Washington, D.C. Uh, great piece in the dispatch today talking about kind of these big summits uh, are not the answer uh, and that we really have to get to this idea of outcomes uh, and what is actually changing behavior, what is changing policy, what is changing the result as it relates to climate and the environment. With Lloyd Matheson on KSL News Radio. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, You need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.